Stay tuned for some important disclosures at the end of this podcast. Hey, Josh. How are you? Good, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm good. You know, the other day I was talking to some clients and they wanted me to talk to their son who was considering buying a house and kind of talking through his options and, you know, really just sort of giving him that basic, you know, mortgage 101 conversation, if you will. And I thought, you know, this is something that we get asked fairly frequently. Yeah, absolutely is. You know, it's it, there's there's a lot of options out there, and I think that there's a lot of information, and it's kind of hard to tell sometimes what what makes the most sense for you, and how do you navigate that whole process. So I thought, you know, maybe we should put a podcast together on that. I think that's a great idea, and maybe it's a good opportunity to reach out to somebody to talk about these issues. You know, maybe a banker or somebody who really deals with this on the on a firsthand level. Absolutely, definitely want to uh, bring in the experts. So lucky we have one, uh, Pete Googler, <laughs> private banker here with us. Um, you know, we thought we'd bring Pete in to ask some questions and, and talk to uh, about this topic. Pete, how you doing? Good, guys. How are you? Good. Thanks Good. for having me. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, so I guess let's let's start really basic. Um, how do we know when the right time is to buy? I mean, should I just continue renting? I mean, for me and... San Francisco, that, that that's, you know, a big chunk of my income. Um, so, so when do we know? I, you know, I think it, it, there's, no, there's no one answer to that. It's mm-hmm. always personal. But, you know, there's always kind of two camps. There are people who see their rent payments as going into somebody else's pocket. Mm-hmm. And they could be going into their own in the form of equity right, on, on right. a place that they own. And that, I think, takes more the view of a of a home purchase as an investment. And then there are people who see, I think, the home purchase decision as um, more of an asset rather than an investment. And, mm-hmm. uh, and by that I mean it's, a, it's something that there's going to be uh, more longevity to. You're not, you're not necessarily thinking about the short-term uh, potential appreciation. You're mm-hmm. thinking about the more, more of the long-term um, uh, shelter place to, to raise a family and, and build memories and things of that nature. So uh, when either of those two kind of signals pop up in your mind, I think that's where you start having this conversation. And it's, it's, worth, it's worth it. Now, that's the sort of psychological or emotional um, approach. Then there's always sort of the financial approach, which is the right time. Sure. So it's, it's either, it sounds like it's, you know, thinking about it really as a place to put my money and potentially grow it or a place to, like you said, put a roof over my head, create a home. That's right. Or, or some combination of the two. I guess yeah. they don't need to be mutually exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a bit of a time frame. So renting might provide maybe more flexibility than buying. Right. But just looking at your time horizon. Yeah, if you're, rent- if, if you're a, a, a 20-something that is traveling four days uh, a week for work, mm-hmm. um, a, you know, you're not going to have a real, I think, emotional bond to the place where you're living. It's more a place where you come for three days and exhaust yourself, you know, get re- rejuvenate uh, <laughs> from your exhaustion <laughs> or pack to your laundry. Do laundry. <laughs> um, so, so you know, that's probably uh, that's probably the person who's who's going to benefit from renting because there's you know if something goes wrong and you're out of town, you place a phone call. It's taken care of. Right, the landlord kind of takes care of yeah. that. You are not the landlord. <laughs> right, and there's you know you're not worried about deferred maintenance and what happens if you don't get to that drain that's leaking and then all of a sudden it's going through your floor and all that kind of stuff. 
So <laughs> your neighbor's place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I think you know that's a life stage where you're probably saying renting is has a lot of benefits, um, mm-hmm. despite the fact that you're not building any equity in the place that you live. Uh, your your focus is elsewhere. Um, sure. And you're not ready to maintain an asset. So what you're saying is it's not just an economic analysis. There's a lot more to it between renting and buying. Uh, again, yeah, practical considerations are, 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 I think, play a big factor into this decision. Okay. So, all right, let's say we, we've, um, I'm staying put for a little while. I want to look at it as either an, an investment or a home to live. Um, how do I figure out, you know, sort of what, what kind of, what I should be looking at? How much can I afford? You know, how do you how do you figure that out? Well, so two things, uh, right? I think you know, obviously, we're talking about mortgages here, so you can finance a portion of it, but you also have to kind of figure out what do you have for a down payment. Mm-hmm. In most cases, mm-hmm. um, there are ways to to purchase a home without a down payment, but usually, that comes with a financial cost that can make it less attractive. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can talk about that, but but I think the first question is: All right, have I saved enough uh, to basically have enough for my rainy day, and, and now also have I saved to put down on a home, right? Mm-hmm. And it's usually going to have to be at least twenty percent mm-hmm. home value. So then you can back into a number there, right? Uh, to say, you know, by virtue of how much I've saved, uh, now I can kind of zero in on the price range. The next question is: Can I afford, or should I try to afford? that 80% financing package on the back end. And so you need to start to talk about what is what is that gonna look like on a monthly basis? And, and then also, you know, um, be beyond just the monthly cash flow, how much interest am I paying over the course of the loan, et cetera. And, right. and, and then it starts to weigh against a lot of other financial decisions that you might be making with respect to investing or, or um, you know, buying insurance, things like that. So, <laughs> All the other things we spend money on. Yeah, right. Right. Um, is there is there a rule of thumb as far as you know if let's say I've got the twenty percent down and now I'm looking at how do I support the the financing part of it is it fifty percent of my salary I mean is there anything kind of guidelines Yeah so so you can talk to somebody who's in the mortgage business anybody will be happy to to work with you on the front end to understand how much can you afford from a financing standpoint. Um, there are underwriting criteria, i.e. the decisions that go into approving the loan. Mm-hmm. And, and usually those criteria will set that, that sort of uh, maximum um, amount of, uh, of what you earn in a month. Mm-hmm. At, you know, it's, it's usually uh, 40% of your gross monthly income can be... Um, allocated to housing expenses. So that's not just the principal and interest, but taxes that you have to pay on the property, the insurance that you're going to have to pay on the property, any HOA fees that might be incurred depending on the kind of property it is. Right. Um, if you own any other properties uh, and you have those kinds of expenses, those would all be factored in. So really, you, you were looking at your whole financial plan to do you pay student loans? Like that might take into account. Yep. So I think for a lot of people, if they're still paying off their, their student debt, that, sure. that could affect maybe what they could afford from a mortgage standpoint, at least what they can borrow. Yeah, right. So, so where, where, your, where your monthly income dollar, how it has to be allocated, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's a fair way of looking at it. And again, uh, it, it can depend on who the, who the lender is. 
um, what kind of program you might be uh, borrowing in, because um, there are different kinds of, of programs. Um, you know, banks offer interest-only mortgages. Banks offer, um, you know, the government-type first home buyer programs that you can look into, uh, which help to mitigate some of the demands around that uh, uh, equity payment upfront. So uh, it can get a little bit complicated, but I do think you know when we talk about getting involved with somebody on the front end. Uh, uh, in the mortgage business, um, it's important to be with somebody that you think is asking the right questions and not trying to talk about product, but mm -hmm. talk about you and, and what it is that's important to you and, and going beyond just the monthly payment. I mean, you made the point, Josh, about having student debt. Um, that's important, but also, you know, what else do you like to do? Because just because you can borrow up to 80% of the home value, maybe that's on a housing ratio basis, $500,000, maybe you shouldn't borrow 500000 because that's all you're going to be able to do now is make your mortgage payment, right? right? And feed yourself. That's no, more, no more trips. Being home poor. Maybe maybe more ramen. Yeah. <laughs> but I've got a beautiful home. Come have ramen. <laughs> and that's sit right. on my milk crate. That's right. you got to burnish it. That's right. Uh, um, you know, no shower curtains, things like that. That, that. that makes for a pretty miserable lifestyle, even though you have this nice apartment. Right. right. That's a good point. Yeah. And I think it's a good point, too, to think about it's not just the mortgage payment and the down payment that are part of the housing costs. Right. So if you're thinking about, you know, as you said, it's the it's the maintenance, the upkeep, the property taxes, the, you know, if there's HOA fees, those are all, you know, going to add to that bottom line that really, frankly, are covered by your rent payment already. That's sort of an all-in number versus, you know, you've got all these extras. And, and I'll say too, you know, for anybody who's thinking about it without having really made the first step to contact somebody in, in you know, a mortgage professional or anybody at a bank, um, if you don't think you're there yet, there's lots of worksheets that you can go and, and pull off the internet and or you know, whatever software programs you want to use that can help you work through some of these things and you can come to a rough estimate and then you're going to a, uh, uh, a financing person with a little bit of an informed basis for for the conversation and and it'll make it more meaningful um, mm -hmm. for you so that's the kind of person that you are um, right. you can do a little advanced work on your own and if you work with a financial planner that's something they could probably help you out with in certainly terms of yeah budgeting and figuring out what what approximately the right number might be yeah. right how your cash flows would be affected right. you know just kind of that monthly and out well I guess that that is a good segue over to so we kind of talk about when you're ready, the things that you consider, but also, you know, so let's say we've done our homework, we know what we're thinking. Is that necessarily what the the banking or the mortgage lender is thinking? So what, you know, walk us through a little bit of, of what you look at when someone comes to you for a mortgage. Yeah, um, so so you, I, I will always look at where they are in the process, right? Are we, I mean, in most cases, or at least for the benefit of most of the audience listening here, we might be talking about a first first mortgage, right? You're not talking about refinancing existing debt. So, uh, if it's a first time home buyer or somebody who's uh, going through the process for the first time, you you want to get a sense of where they are. Are they looking? Have they engaged a realtor? Are they out speaking to people about trying to find properties? Um, at that point, they will already likely be uh, familiar with the pre qualification or pre approval. Um, 
requirements. A lot of times realtors won't work with you until you're pre-approved or pre-qualified. They won't show you homes. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. They might talk to you about neighborhoods and what it is you're looking for from a lifestyle standpoint, but if they're going to start taking the time to take you on uh, tours of homes that are on the market, uh, they're going to want to know that you've got some sort of commitment uh, backing you and some financial wherewithal to, to go through on a transaction. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can go to uh, a lender give them some information and you can get either um, pre-qualified, which means they've done just sort of a basic overview. You've told them what you make, you've told them what other debt you owe, um, and, and they've sort of come up with a rough estimate of if all of this holds true, here's how much we could lend you, mm-hmm. right? Um, then there's a there's a pre-approval uh, where they've done, they've looked at your tax returns the past two years. They've gotten a pay stub from you. They've uh, they've looked at W twos right. um, and done a lot of the financial due diligence to get that approval in place. And then they'll give you a letter which you can walk up to your uh, realtor with and say, "No, I'm I'm pre-approved here, so I'm ready to make an offer." So there's a little chicken the egg. It sounds like for people who. They want to start looking, but yet you want to know what you can afford. How do you work through that a little bit? Is it kind of do everything concurrently? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it's, uh, like you said, working with a financial planner, um, somebody who's familiar with who you are and what your backing looks like financially, what you're making, maybe somebody who understands what your career aspirations are and how your trajectory looks within that path is also helpful. Um, because you might take off a little bit more than you can chew today if you're fairly confident that you'd be able to handle it tomorrow. Um, that said, um, you you get that sense of A, what you can put down for your equity, A, what you can borrow, and now you've got a total number. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you need to start looking to other professionals to help you understand Emma, what markets should I be in, right? Because to, to your point, San Francisco, depending on a 30-minute drive, you could be in completely different markets. So, um, completely different markets. Uh, So, it's it's important to know that you're not, you know, looking in in a place that's not going to be meaningful to you. So, that's where you would engage the realtor. And then, it all starts to kind of come together as a picture, I think, as you are uh, pulling at the various threads. Um, and, And once you've Uh, I I find at least that more often than not, it takes a little bit of self-education on the topic to understand who you are, what you want, or Mm self-evaluation. Then let some other folks uh, come in and help evaluate if you're on the right path. And pretty soon you've got yourself sort of a a bullseye that you're narrowing in on with respect to actually finding a property. Okay, so, all right, done the legwork. We've got either pre-qualified, which sounds like you don't need to disclose quite as much information up front, but it's also just qualified, not approved, versus give you all of my financial information. Mm -hmm. And now I've got this letter. So I'm showing the realtor I mean business. I'm ready. We put an offer on a house, and you know, right now, now we need the the mortgage to actually back it up. Yep. So what what does that process look like? What can we expect? So what what you'll have is. in most cases, you'll go in to make your offer. Mm-hmm. And as part of your purchase and sale agreement, there will be a financing contingency, which means you need, you are intending to purchase, you're putting down a good faith um, deposit mm-hmm. that you're gonna go through an earnest money deposit. 
and that's part of your equity payment. Mm -hmm. And at that point, the, the seller knows that you're serious. But if your financing doesn't fall, doesn't come through mm -hmm. um, because uh, they've gone through additional due diligence and now something pops up that they weren't aware of, sometimes this happens, uh, you aren't held to that contract, the purchase and sale contract anymore because there was this financing contingency. Mm -hmm. So um, it means you can get a good way into the process and if something doesn't work out, you're not necessarily on the hook for coming up with the full payment. Right, right because you right. buying the house is contingent on receiving the financing. Yeah, that's right. right. Okay. Um, so, uh, and, and usually you know, it would stand to reason that that happens more often than not when it's on a pre-qualification process than a, than a pre-approval process because right. they haven't done as much due diligence on you as the borrower. Uh, so uh, from there though, I mean, what usually or once you have an executed purchase and sale agreement in, you bring that to your mortgage lender. Mm -hmm. They've got a contract that they can work off now. You have a closing date. It's usually 45 days to 60 days out. Mm -hmm. That gives everybody um, time to, to get ready and prepare themselves, the sellers and, and yourself, the buyer, and then the financing group and the legal group and um, the, uh, the realtors. Everybody's got a lot of paperwork. When you go through this process, you're probably never going to sign as much documentation again in your life. <laughs> it's like a two-inch stack. Yeah, I like, <laughs> I like to joke with clients that when they're signing uh, even their wills and trust documents, it feels a bit like they're signing a mortgage. That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah you <laughs> mortgage might be more, though. Hand cramp uh, from everything. Um, so, so but, but that point, yeah, you've got the 60-day window, so be prepared that, you know, even though it sounds like you're really moving quickly, there's still a lot of time on the back end um, to get everything to come together the way it needs. You had touched on this a little bit, Pete, but, uh, you know, so for that first-time buyer who's getting ready to go uh, get the mortgage, what documents generally should they have ready to get, whether they have them immediately or just know that they're going to have to get copies? Like, what should yeah. they have to, to give to the, to the lender? So usually it's two years' uh, tax returns, mm -hmm. um, and the lender will look at your adjusted gross income on there. They'll look for any sort of oddities. And they might have to back some of those things out. No need to get too detailed on that, but they usually take that adjusted number and they'll average it over the past two years, um, and that that'll be sort of the number they use as a qualifying income figure. So that's important. They'll look for W uh, W two and pay stub because mm -hmm. um, that helps to understand what's being pulled out for withholding and, and everything else. Gives them another. Uh, basis to compare or to, to evaluate your cash flow mm -hmm. um, um, if you have other debt they're gonna want to you know look in and they'll be able to see because they'll pull a credit report this is another important part of this your credit score they'll know that and they'll get a full list of what revolving lines of credit you have out there credit cards the trade lines is what they call them you have open and sort of what you have in a full what your what you could potentially borrow if you decided to max out all of the uh, avenues of debt that you have available to you. <laughs> uh, and that'll be a factor into some of the, the ratios that we talked about, um, as to what they call their debt to income ratio. Mm -hmm. So um, as they're doing all of that information, a lot of times it's in that credit report where we come, where a, maybe a potential um, snake in the grass jumps up uh, with the underwriting process and that's where some of the unknowns start to creep up on you. So um, good to have an idea of what your credit score is before you're going in, and you can tell your uh, lender that. Mm -hmm. and, and so they'll, they'll be able to base their 
pre-qualification uh, off of some good information without actually having to pull the credit report. And we have a podcast on credit and lending and debt, uh, so we certainly... How to, how to establish a good credit history. Oh, yes. So you don't <laughs> maybe run into this issue a little bit. That, right. No, right. I think that's it, it's all part of it. So um, it, once they've pulled that, though, then, then they'll also know, you know, if there's divorce or anything in, in you know, decrees that need to be signed or, or provided, um, all those types of instruments will give the, the lender a good idea as to what obligations you have outside of the mortgage. So they'll want to see all that. Right. So if you're making payments to other individuals or... What are your obligations? Yeah. Right. Um, student debt's another good one. Student student debt, credit card debt, and, and um, you know, any judgments or anything. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get sued before you buy a home. That's right. <laughs> or wait a while. <laughs> okay. So assuming all of that looks good, you've listened to our podcast on uh, credit history and you're, you're doing well on that, then how do we know what kind of mortgage to apply for? I mean, you, you heard a lot in sort of the financial crisis about all these different types of mortgages that went south and how, how do you know what what is the right mortgage? Sure. So so the most, what we'll call, um, what I think is most commonly viewed as the conservative mortgage product is the 30-year fixed. It's actually kind of an interesting thing in that it's not generally available in any other countries. You know, Canada doesn't have a, most European countries don't have a 30-year fixed mortgage. It's usually been what created uh, a lot of the strength in the American housing market. So it's, it's a very popular product. Um, is it shorter periods of time in other places? Yeah, so I think in Canada it's 20 years is the most, oh, wow. uh, the okay. longest um, note that you can borrow, and I think that's pretty consistent across other countries as well. That's interesting. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the uh, so so but but now that it is conservative in that it's thirty year fixed fixed meaning the rate won't change for thirty years you'll have the exact same payment every month for thirty years what what the, the term thirty years is is actually referring to is the amortization period so that's the time over which you make both interest and principal payments and. At the end of the 30 years, you have no loan balance remaining. Okay. So it's fully amortized. You've repaid the entire loan over the term. Okay. Um, it's yours. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're debt-free with respect to that note. Um, it only took you 30 years to get there. The, <laughs> is that all? <laughs> the thing about it to, to pay attention to, though, is that way the way an amortization schedule works is a lot of the interest that you're going to pay is in the front part of this, in the early part of that that uh, amortization schedule. So within the first seven or eight years, you're paying the majority of the interest. Oh, interesting. Um, so a lot of the expense is embedded. You haven't repaid much principal, and you've been into it for seven years. And as part of the mortgage process, you can see what that looks like. Yeah, correct? Right. that should be a part of your analysis. So um, if, if you've got kind of an old soul and you think you're going to be in this home, for the next 30 years because this is where you want to raise your family and it's the community you've always wanted to be in and your spouse is on board with that and everything else, that's that's a good, good way to go. Um, because eventually you do get the benefit of that security, right? And then uh, over time, um, the, the, the interest rate security. What, what I see- your payments are never gonna change, right? We hear a lot about interest rates changing but yet, your thirty-year fixed mortgage, you will pay the same amount every month for the full 
30 full, years, every 30 month. years. You know what you know what you're you you know what you're on the hook for. Sure. Um, it's very easy to budget around. I think um, the other alternatives out there is there's obviously shorter amortization periods. A 15 year mortgage is an amortization period uh, greatly reduces the amount of interest you pay, and clearly you're making because you're paying it back in 15 years. Your payment's going to be bigger, but more of that's going to the principal repayment. So you're out of the mortgage faster, and you've paid less in interest over that term. So if you have ample cash flow, that's not a bad way to go. And you get the benefit of a fairly long interest rate um, security. Mm -hmm. um, um, what I see a lot of people looking at it, and, and what, what I think got sort of a bad rap in the financial world with the adjustable rate mortgages. And, then, and what we had were not so much the fact that an adjustable rate mortgage was bad, it was that it was just adjustable rate mortgages combined with very bad underwriting guidelines that went into creating sort of what everybody sees as the housing collapse in 2008 to 10. Um, that, that vilified adjustable rate mortgages, but I still think it's a useful financial tool, particularly for people who are high, earner, high earners or have ample assets who are borrowing because they want to, not because they have to. Mm -hmm. um, and this might apply to some of our clients, right? They, they're taking a mortgage out because they don't necessarily want to pull assets out of something else, right? There's all, reason, all kinds of reasons why you might not want to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so when you're in a situation where you can lock in an interest rate, an ARM will usually be on a three, five, seven, or 10 year type product. ARM being adjustable rate mortgage. That's right. So when you're talking about a, when you're talking about a, a 10, a 10, 10 one arm, right? That's what you'll hear. Mm -hmm. It means the interest, the first rate that you get quoted will be good for 10 years. Okay. And then the one refers to it will adjust every year thereafter annually. Mm -hmm. So um, you got interest, a fixed interest rate for 10 years. Then on the anniversary date, every year thereafter, it will adjust once a year based on some formula. So this works really well. It, it, the, the other thing to note there is it can be interest only, so where you're just paying interest, no principal. Um, or it can be where you're, it's amortized over the 10, uh, 15, 20, 30 year schedule. So again, all these kinds of analyses that you want to do, what works best for you in your financial situation. Any mortgage lender can help you with that process and should. If they seem unwilling to do it and they just want to talk about one product and one product only, Frankly, it probably means that that's the only product that they're competitively priced at, and they're the one that they think they're going to get your business on, right? So, Makes be, sense. be good to maybe find somebody else and get their perspective, um, because all of these products should be something that they should be considering, given what you're telling them about yourself. When you say interest only, it means every month you only have to pay the interest due, but to the extent you want to pay principal, there's no penalty. They can pay as much or as little of the principal as they want in any given right. month. So if you're if you're somebody who uh, makes a nice salary but gets the bulk of their income in sort of lumpy payments throughout the year, whether it's an annual bonus or quarterly dividends or, or whatnot, you may like an interest-only product because you can make the minimum monthly payment and then as those uh, lump sums come in, you can allocate some portion of that to paying down principal, right? And there's no penalty for that. So the other benefit of an interest-only product is as you make those um, bulky payments to the principal, 
it will lower that monthly payment for you as well. Right. Yeah. Bless you. You've got all that principal hanging out out there. Right. So, <laughs> which actually, conversely, to a uh, a thirty year fixed mortgage, if you pay down a hundred thousand on that thirty year fixed, it doesn't change your payment at all on a monthly basis. It just accelerates the repayment schedule. Right. So it doesn't become a thirty year. Now it's a twenty eight year fixed. That's right. But your payment's still the same. Right. Interesting. Okay. So it sounds like if you're, you know, it, what mortgage is right for you is really dependent on, like you said, things like is your income steady or, you know, how long, I guess, of a time horizon do you have and, you know, the reasons why you might be getting the mortgage. Can you, because you, you mentioned it briefly, can you touch a little bit more on why someone might get a mortgage even if, let's say, they've got the cash mm-hmm. to do it anyways? Yeah, I think I think... Two things, a mortgage, if you're gonna make your monthly payment on a mortgage, A, it's a great way, as you guys covered in your podcast, it's a great way to build credit. Um, so to build a really strong credit score, um, paying off a mortgage, paying down a mortgage uh, on a continual basis, meeting that mortgage monthly payment really helps to improve your overall credit profile. Um, but, you know, I think where maybe um, your outlook uh, for financial markets is positive mm-hmm. and you don't want to pull uh, assets away from that uh, to put into a home which you may view as being a great place to live but maybe you're not willing maybe the market's pretty topped out and you think it's not going to get much better um, that might be a consideration uh, there may be taxes for, for the, you know you incur through taking investments that you currently have and having to, to sell them so maybe you want to avoid something like that there's there, that, that can all factor into how much you, equity you want to generate in, a, in the transaction. You know, you talked about in the beginning putting 20% down and borrowing 80%. What would happen if you were to try to borrow more, uh, say, so 85 or 90%? So yeah. are there some pros and cons, or how, how do mortgage lenders view that? So, so there's ways in which you can structure that, and, and they kind of let's put it this way, in 2005, it was fairly common for you to be able to put together a financing package where you would basically be financing 100% of the purchase price. Um, you would do an 80% loan-to-value mortgage, and then you would do what they called a piggyback equity loan on top of it. And the reason they cap it at 80% is that if you go over 80% on the first mortgage, you have to start paying PMI, which is basically an insurance product against your perceived default rate going above what lenders view as an acceptable uh, loan-to-value ratio. Private mortgage insurance, is that what that is? Yeah, sorry. Um, private mortgage. So it's, it's, We it's, love acronyms. Yes, we yeah. do. <laughs> so, so and, and if you have to buy it, it can be, it can add a lot to the overall financing costs. So it, 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 it tends to be uh, structured as a disincentive, a meaningful disincentive to going above that 80%. Basically, it's, a, it's an extra fee you have to pay it as a penalty for borrowing more than Yeah, 80%. against what they see as a higher likelihood of potential losses to the bank or sure. the lender. Sure. Because you've, you've now exceeded a certain loan to value. Right. So you don't really have that much skin in the game, I guess, if That's you're right. not putting right. 20% of your own money down. That's a good point. Which makes sense. Um, and then what about, so we hear sometimes terms about escrow accounts. What is that? So, um, and again, it'll depend on the, the lender, but usually 
uh, they're going to ask you in, in, um, to uh, escrow your taxes and insurance because what, what the bank sees is um, as an asset, your home, right? That's their collateral. So what they don't want to find out is that you've been paying them, but you haven't been paying the government, right? Or the state government, real estate taxes. Mm -hmm. um, so they're going to take the tax payments for you, put them in escrow, and then they'll make the tax payment to the to the town or the, the state, um, however it's billed. Um, same for insurance. They don't want to, you know, have this piece of collateral, um, you know, uh, which they valued at $600,000 um, and lent 400000 against it. All of a sudden, there's a fire. It's now you know, basically gone. And when they go to collect insurance, they have the insurance proceeds, which they will be the first payee on the insurance policy, mm -hmm. um, find out that you haven't paid it, right? So that they're not getting reimbursed. Uh, so they'll they'll take your insurance premium on a monthly basis and they'll put it into escrow and then make the premium payments for you to the insurance company. Um, all of this is basically reflected in your monthly payment okay. on the mortgage. Mm -hmm. So it's your it's what they call the the PITI, the principal interest taxes and insurance are the four components of your monthly payment. Okay, so it sounds like there's there's a couple of costs, obviously, that go with you know mortgage, depending on the time, type of mortgage you mm -hmm. get. Like you said, if it's over the 80%, then there's the PMI cost. Um, potentially, your, your costs could include setting aside money for taxes, for homeowners insurance. Um, are there any other costs that we should keep in mind when we're acquiring a mortgage? Well, especially a closing. So they may take, um, for the escrows, they may take the first six months of uh, insurance. Okay. Um, or they might take the first six months of taxes as well, so you'll have to front those. Um, they'll be part of your closing costs. Um, there, there are times where you can pay points on a mortgage, which is basically, think about it as uh, prepaying interest. Uh, so one point would be uh, 1% of the overall mortgage amount. So if it's a $600,000 mortgage, you pay $6,000, maybe they'll lower your interest rate by 20 basis points. Mm. So instead of, you know, they're kind of making it on the front end for offering you a lower rate uh, and lowering your payment. Mm -hmm. So that's another potential cost. You're also gonna have um, documentation fees. You're probably gonna have appraisal fees. Um, those kinds of things will all factor into the closing costs. And a lot of times if it's part of a purchase, uh, you'll see it in um, in, in all that these will all be outlined in various portions of the documentation you get. Okay. So, um, so a part of that two-inch stack that you're going to sign when you uh, yeah. So so your mortgage <laughs> so lender <laughs> should be able to give you what they call a GFE or good faith estimate, uh, and they can they should be based on once they have the PNS the property purchase and sale. Uh, <laughs> they should they should be able to get to within a very fairly certain degree uh, uh, of exactitude what your costs are going to be. Mm -hmm. um, so you, sh you should be able to estimate that before having to write the check. Uh, okay. Shouldn't be a surprise when you get to the closing table. Good. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like there's a lot of steps here and maybe if I try to sum it up really for somebody who's maybe looking to, you know, needs housing, right, first and foremost, and do they rent or do they buy? And so they go through that analysis, and then how much can they potentially afford, and how much do they need to finance, and how much can they put down, um, and then what type of mortgage is right, and then 
sort of making sure that they understand what that monthly payment's actually going to be, recognizing that there are a lot of other costs. So it's a it's a process. It certainly is, and it and it's you know hopefully a podcast like this is helpful in in setting the table because it does take some time and there's some legwork that goes into it. Um, you're going to have to be able to access and provide documentation. Uh, you know, it's nice if you have accountants who can provide the tax returns, and um, you know, if it's easy to go on. You work for a, a big employer where your W twos are easily referenced, and you know, things like that. But you, you do have to put some work into getting these these things done. Um, and it's not just you know the amount of work of signing on the back end. That's <laughs> that's that's the other half of the work that goes into it. <laughs> Makes but sense. I, I would say, you know, if there's a golden rule in my mind, it's it's being as honest and up and forthright up front. You know, listening to this, thinking about some of the things that talked about, doing some research about what's required, and and kind of coming full disclosure to the table about what it is you can do and want to do, because ultimately, uh, as as painful as it might be, thinking about what what you're going to do and trying to plan about this on the front end. It's, it is far less painful to do that and go through a process, get halfway or three quarters of the way down the road and find out you're not in the right place, right? Having to retread and go back and start over. So it's good advice. Um, you know, be, put the legwork in on the front end so that you, know, you don't find yourself uh, backtracking. Absolutely. I mean, you fall in, in love with a place and then, three, like you said, three quarters of the way in, you're. You're not so in love with it anymore. Right, right, right. <laughs> love with the place, don't love the monthly payment. Yeah, or right. or you didn't have the you know the documents or anything to back it up. Right. So yeah, so doing your homework on the front end in this case really does help make the process go more smoothly. Great. Well, I hope this is helpful, Pete. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. CIBC Private Wealth Management includes CIBC National Trust Company, CIBC Delaware Trust Company, CIBC Private Wealth Advisors Incorporated, all of which are wholly owned subsidiaries of CIBC Private Wealth Group LLC and the Private Wealth Division of CIBC Bank USA. All of these entities are wholly owned subsidiaries of Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. The tax information contained herein is general and for informational purposes only. CIBC Private Wealth Management does not provide legal or tax advice, and the information contained herein should only be used in consultation with your legal, accounting, and tax advisors. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only, and the material presented should not be construed as an offer or recommendation to buy or sell any security or loan product. Concepts expressed are current as of the date of this podcast only and may change without notice. Private banking solutions are offered through CIBC Bank USA, member FDIC and equal housing lender. CIBC Bank USA and CIBC Private Wealth Group LLC are both indirect, wholly owned subsidiaries of CIBC. CIBC Private Wealth Group and its subsidiaries do not provide and are not responsible for the products and services offered by CIBC Bank USA. CIBC Bank USA will not pay employees of CIBC Private Wealth Group or its subsidiaries for referring clients to CIBC Bank USA, but to the extent permitted by applicable laws and regulations, the referral of clients to CIBC Bank USA for eligible products or services may be considered by CIBC Private Wealth Group in determining discretionary compensation to employees. All credit requests are subject to loan approval.